0: I am not going to be political this morning, but I do want to express gratitude for some of the much needed prison reform that people of both political stripes have come together on. And it hit me in preparing for this morning's sermon that at one level, even with all its downsides, inmates have a very high degree of security. At the most basic levels, they don't have to worry about the stock market, about food, shelter, clothing, education, and other physical daily needs. But for those who are alive and free to pursue their own activities of their own choosing, risk and adventure are the very essence of their existence. Security is that elusive state of being which we instinctively seek in life but only find at the price of illusion and denial. For to be alive is to be insecure. And so we focus most of our energies into making high salaries, having families, securing the good life in a concentrated effort to convince ourselves that we have things under control. But in our heart of hearts, we know it just ain't so. Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty are leaning against a tree, kind of musing about life, and Peppermint Patty says, Lately, everything seems to bother me. What do you mean, says Charlie Brown? Well, what do you think about security, Chuck? Security, well, security is sleeping in the back seat of your car. When you're a little kid, you know, and and you've been somewhere with your mom and dad and it's night and you're riding home in the car and you can sleep in the back seat, you don't have to worry about anything. Your mom and dad are in the front seat, and they do all the worrying, and they take care of everything. Oh, that's real neat, says Peppermint Patty. But it doesn't last, says Charlie Brown. Suddenly, you're grown up, and it can never be the same again. Suddenly, it's over, and you'll never get to sleep in the back seat again. Never, never. (laughs) And Peppermint Patty says, never? And he says, absolutely never. And she puts out her hand and she says, hold my hand, Chuck. I certainly can remember the back seat of my parents' station wagon when we'd be coming home from a family road trip late at night and the security it offered. Charles Schultz, who for many years lived up in Santa Rosa, Knew how to tap into the security needs of children, and I suspect children of all ages. Security. We all have memories of some time in our lives when some place like the back seat of a car was ours as a part of the natural order of things and we were secure. The story is told of a farmer who, for security reasons, had just taken out a fire insurance policy on one of his barns. He tried to get clear just what was involved in that, and after signing the papers, he said to the insurance agent, Now, if my barn were to burn down tonight, what would I get? And the agent said, Oh, about 10 to 15 years. Even the security of signed insurance papers has limitations. And so we are anxious. Today is the last of our sermon series, Once Upon a Time and Ever After, Exploring Not Safe Stories, as we examine children's stories and fairy tales. So, once again, I want to invite you to go to that place where you can either be a kid again or just uh, a comfortable place in your spirit, maybe put in your mind's eye some comfortable couch, uh, either reading a story to a child or grandchild or listening to one. As we turn to the provocative pen of the Brothers Grimm, today's story is Clever Elsa. There was once a man who had a daughter called Clever Elsa. When she was grown up, her father said, we must get her married. Yes, said mother, if only someone would come and have her. At last, a suitor by the name of Hans came, and he was willing to marry her on the condition she was as clever as everyone said she was. Oh, said her father, she is a long-headed lass. And her mother said, she can see the wind blowing in the street and hears the flies coughing. Well, said Hans, if she is not really clever, I won't have her. Well, they had a dinner, and all were there, and Mother sent clever um, Elsa down to the cellar to draw some beer. She went down to the cellar, and as she was drawing the beer from the vat, she noticed that there was a pickaxe in one of the rafters that had been left there by a working man, and she began to cry. She said, if I marry Hans, and we have a child, when it grows big, there will be a time when I send it down to the cellar, To get some beer and the pickaxe will fall and kill. Oh, it's awful. So she didn't come upstairs. She sat down and she cried. Then the maid went down to check on her. After hearing the same story, she began to cry. A manservant went down and the same thing happened. The parents went down, mom and dad, and they heard the story and they were all sitting there crying. And finally, Hans goes down. And he sees what's happened and he says, more wit than this I do not need. And as you are such a clever Elsa, I will have you for my wife. And so they married. And one day when Hans was off to work, he said to Elsa, go to the cornfield and reap some corn for we have nothing to eat. So she made some broth. She went out to the cornfield and she said to herself, what shall I do first? Shall I eat first or reap first? I will eat first. And then after finishing the broth, what shall I do? Sleep first or reap first? I will sleep first. And she fell asleep. Hans, seeing that she hadn't come home, said, What a clever Elsa I have. She's so industrious she doesn't even come home to eat. But as she didn't come home at dusk, he went out. And he found that nothing had been harvested. And he found her asleep. So he went home and he got a fowler's net with bells on it. And he wrapped her in the net and he left her there and he went home and he locked the doors. Clever Elsa wakes up, sees that she can't move very well. And every time she does, she jingles and she says to herself, is it me or is it not me? She didn't know what the answer was. So at last she thought, I will go home and I will ask if it is me or if it is not me and they will know for sure. So she runs home. She finds the door locked. She knocks at the door and cried Hans, it's Elsa at home. She says, is Elsa at home? And Hans says, yes, she is. So she started to cry, and alas, then it is not me. And she went from house to house, but nobody would let her in because of the bells. And so she ran out of the village and was never seen again. Wow. What a strange story. Elsa, paralyzed by anxiety, finds herself eventually unable to act with the result that she loses her sense of personal identity. The folk wisdom of the tale speaks of anxious self, lost self. Let's juxtapose that with words Jesus our Lord spoke to his disciples one day as part of the Sermon on the Mount. We pick it up at the 25th verse. Therefore, I say to you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, we hear these familiar words as we address the bills which pile up at home and as tax time approaches, and we engage in the mathematics of trying to match income with outgo, And these words seem a bit pious and, frankly, pretty far removed. Who of us can live our life totally free from anxiety and worry, as Jesus has described? The Greek word used in verse 25 for anxious is merimnao, which also means to care for something, to care for something. To not care for something is to be careless, and what that leads to is apathy. Now, I want to remind you that the opposite of love is not hate, but apathy. It's just indifference. That's the opposite of love, a lack of pathos a lack of caring. Now, is Jesus counseling apathy as the countering response to anxiety? Certainly not. Not being worried, uptight, and anxious does not mean being indifferent and apathetic. Jesus recognizes that part of being human is at times to be anxious. What he's doing is calling us to a sense of perspective and balance about anxiety. In his poem, Ash Wednesday, which is only ten days away, T.S. Eliot offers a balancing word. Because these wings are no longer wings to fly, but merely vans to beat the air, the air which is now thoroughly small and dry, smaller and drier than the will, teach us to care and not to care, teach us to sit still. Teach us to care and not to care. We are, that is um, what we're called to do in Jesus, to care and not to care. We are prompted to be involved in the push and pull of life, but to know that the bottom line for faithful living is trust in the providential care of God. In Christ, we learn how not to care so that anxiety never dominates our life. For clever Elsa, anxiety was the all-consuming emotion, and so the absurdity of her cellar tears over a futilely imagined future. Let's move now to the second level of the story. Sent to the fields to cut some grain, Elsa fails to act responsibly, and instead she satisfies her hunger and falls asleep. Which is to say, in the language of fairy tale, that when anxiety and worry rule your life, you are paralyzed and unable to act fully and effectively. That's what anxiety does in the final analysis. It immobilizes our best action, our best way of being in the world. For instance, relationships are difficult to nurture when the agitation of worry is always present. Worrying about the future almost always makes it more difficult to move positively from the now into the future. I've heard it said that no good work is ever done while the heart is hot and anxious and fretted. That's why Jesus, in seeking to address our anxiety, points to the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. We've all heard these words before. And Jesus makes that comparison not to extol inaction, inaction as a Christian virtue, but to put our action and behavior in perspective. You know, when you really watch, there's nothing busier than a bird. Flying, landing, darting, scavenging, soaring. Even when they're sitting on a branch, they're moving and chirping and active. And. Time-lapse photography has given us the glimpse of the ongoing growth in nature, such that even a flower is never completely still. It's just that anxiety does not seem to be a factor in the function of a bird or a flower. Said the sparrow to the robin, I would surely like to know what makes these busy humans rush about and worry so, said the robin to the sparrow. I don't know unless it be they have no heavenly father to care for them like you and me. To be human, as I said earlier, is to be anxious. We need to learn to care and not to care because God cares for us. That's the first point. Anxiety, when it dominates us, leads to paralyzing inaction. And then in our fairy tale, Clever Elsa awakens to find she is engulfed in a fowler's net. Her scope is drastically limited and confined. She's confused and she doesn't know who she is. And finding no help when she knocks at the door of her own home, she wanders off into the darkness of life. Anxiety, when left to follow its own logic, leads to the lost self. There is no identifiable and recognizable person. And that, as the gospel understands it, is the nature of inner darkness. In our lesson, Jesus speaks of our little faith in verse 30. And then he offers a startling and directive word. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and God's righteousness, and everything else will be given or added unto you. The Greek word for added also appears in the 27th verse of our text when Jesus asked, who by worrying can add a single hour to their lifespan? All addition in life comes from self-forgetfulness. When we seek the highest we know and God adds to our life beyond our meager and materialistic expectations, that is God's mathematics. And that's what it means to seek the kingdom first. Have an ideal which draws you to the highest. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, he said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the same word used in our lesson when he, we are told not to be anxious what we put on these bodies of ours. No, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the high calling of Christ in your life, and then you'll never be lost in the fowler's net. For when you have that high ideal which captivates your consciousness and best energies, you'll know who and whose you are. I think most of you will remember who Oliver Wendell Holmes was. That great American jurist who lived into his 90s. He was a feature in the summer community in New England where he went away every summer. And he was out one day for a walk and he met a very young girl and they began to have a a little conversation. They had a lovely talk. And when it was over, the distinguished jurist said to the little girl, when your mother asks you where you've been, just tell her you were walking and talking with Oliver Wendell Holmes. And she responded, and when your mother asks you where you've been, You tell her you were walking with Mary Susanna Brown. That little girl had an identity. Anxiety flees when identity arrives. And as philosopher Blaise Pascal put it, anxiety arises from comparing oneself with others. We should only compare ourselves with Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, a high ideal indeed. Know who and whose you are. And as such, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And everything else will be added unto you. Anxious self, lost self. To be human is to be anxious, or else Jesus would never have addressed it in the first place. And so clever Elsa cries from the cellar. But Lord, teach us to care and not to care. Give us a balanced perspective. Earlier I mentioned that the opposite of love is not hate, but apathy. Equally important, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear, anxiety, and worry. They are inversely correlated. The more faith, the less worry. Time and again, the people who are the least anxious are the ones who are the most faithful and trusting in God. Anxiety. When it dominates our life, leads to paralyzing inaction. And so clever Elsa ate and slept in the cornfield. Anxiety. When left to follow its own logic, leads to the lost self. And clever Elsa, caught in the fowler's net, wandered into the darkness of life and was never seen again. No vision and you perish. No ideal and you're lost. Your heart must ever cherish some faith. At any cost, some hope, some dream to cling to, some rainbow in the sky, some melody to sing to, some service that is high. Praise be to God for the gift of faith in our life, which teaches us to care and not to care, and to know who and whose we truly are.